This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Yay, that's messed up an SVU podcast. I'm Lisa. And I'm Kara. And every week we discuss an episode of SVU, the true crime it's based on, and we talk to a celeb guest. And we've got a good one for you today. Um, but first, we're so excited. I mean, we we told you guys this last week, but now like all of the links should be up. We're ready to go. Our tour is in full swing. That's messed up live anywhere but Hudson. If you know, you know, and I know all of you guys know. We are so excited. Like we're going back to cities that we love like Madison and New York and Boston. And then we're hitting up some new ones like St. Louis and Salt Lake City. And Burlington. And Toronto and Burlington, Vermont, where my camp pals will all probably be there. So yeah, like please and come see us, get tickets. Honestly, not to toot our own horns, but... Our promo materials look incredible. <laughs> Honestly. And our live show is so fun. Like, we just finished our June dates and, like, we had so much fun in, like, Denver and Tempe and all these places that we went. So it's really fun. It's not just two of us sitting at a card table, like, doing our podcast. Like, we give you visuals, we give you games. It's like a fun live night out experience. So definitely come bring some friends. If we don't sell tickets in your city, we can never come back. And that's a threat and a promise. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you guys so much. Also, if we haven't talked about it on the podcast, I don't know if we have, there is a new piece of merch in our merch store that I'm obsessed with. It's a super, super soft, like muscle tee that says, do you have children detective? I'm obsessed with it. I got mine and it's so fucking soft. I love it. Somebody already sent me a message saying that the security guy at their work thought it was hilarious. I don't, did he get it? Does he watch SVU? I don't know. It's a conversation starter. Get it. Please enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I love it so much. Um, And that's like, that's it for the biz. And if you want to binge watch something, Survival of the Thickest comes out this week. So that's right. Give it a watch. Give it a watch. So this episode is wide releasing on July 11th in two days on Netflix. Our very own Lisa is starring in this amazing show. You are. Like she in the prom in the preview, there's like two big laugh moments and Lisa's in them. So I'm just going to be bragging on here like a like a mom. And I'm like so excited to see it. Michelle Buteau is one of the funniest people. Lisa, obviously you all know is one of the funniest people. We got to watch this show. I'm very excited. And so that it gets a second season. Everybody flood Netflix on July 13th and watch Survival of the Thickest. And, and also our Boston venue, I do have, it, we're doing the Wilbur, which is yeah, a big Boston. deal. Yeah, Boston. 
Boston, so, we need you to show up. You guys were so awesome in Somerville, and now they've booked, they've moved us up to the big leagues, and we just can't have we just half, can't have yeah. a half empty house <laughs> in Boston. It'll be so embarrassing. We'll be laughed out of town. So yeah, the Wilbur is so intimidating in terms of the event. It's so cool. So I'm really excited. But a lot of people were already DMing me, being like, "The presale link doesn't work." because it was before it started. So luckily, you guys are all enthusiastic and it's we know you're going to come. It's just so many moving pieces where it's like all of these venues, then we have the agents, and then it's like we're working with photography, the art, getting the date, posting everything, and then it's like, I don't know, the links might not work. Get over it. <laughs> Try, again. Try again the next day. But by the time this episode comes out, all of our links yes. better fucking be up at thatsmesseduplive.com, which is where all of our, it's the link in our bio also. So it's like where all of our ticket think links will be. And so, yeah, I mean, that's all for business. Lisa, what's going on with you? You flew uh, into LA last night and went straight to a comedy show because you are a workhorse. Well, I was supposed to land earlier in the day, but I scheduled all these virtual things while I was supposed to be on a flight. So I so I had to stay in Denver for longer, but I had a lovely day. I ate um, at Sam's Diner, you know, which oh, I yeah, guess is famous. I walked around and then... Jokic, you know, the the basketball player in Denver, yeah. who everyone, I think that's how you say it, whatever. So I, w- I walked into a store to be like, oh, maybe there's like little merch I can buy for my friend Frex or, you know, no, whatever. I'm like, oh, I'll just see. Instead, I left with a Dennis Rodman jersey. And <laughs> I don't know how expensive jerseys are, but... Oh my God. They're not cheap, but it's like healing my inner child. But I did see the blackening. How was it? It was awesome. I can't stop thinking about it and I want to see it again. Like, I have to go again. I really loved it. Well, I'll go with you this time because I really want to go. Yes. Let's go see The Blackening. I loved it. Also, I went to, I I went in Denver and so I don't, I don't really go to the Regals here. I do AMCs and surprise lay down seat. Nothing is better than that. You think you're going to be in a normal, I I mean, I did feel bad walking in because on the (laughs) screen, Okay, I did get high as hell before the movie. I was in Denver. So the the employee on the screen, it's like all the seats and, he, and you're supposed to pick a seat. And I started touching the screen and he went, it's not touch screen. Just tell me what seat you want. <laughs> <laughs> I was so embarrassed. I'm sure in Denver, he's getting that a lot. Like I really am sure that you're not his first high person trying to <laughs> poke your way to a new seat. Um, but only one person was in the theater and I was like, oh, he's going to be so upset when I walk in. You know, like to think you're fully alone and then, no, it's me. Did you have any little scream moments where you were in front of the man? (laughs) I was stressed. I was stressed. I was holding my head. I was shifting (laughs) in my seat. I was like, I had to check it. I like, I was scared. Um, But also one of the actresses that I loved, she was just on Watch What Happens Live and she was in Swarm. She's in one episode of Swarm that I really liked. So this girl's having like a huge moment. X Ex- Mayo. Do you know her? No. Yeah, she's killing it. And I just read a thing about her in Vanity Fair, but she's very fun. I mean, everyone is so good. Dwayne Perkins is a fucking star. I can't believe he wrote that. It's so funny and good. And like, I, I and classic, that's the thing. It's like classic and follows a lot of horror rules while also being innovative and exciting. And fun. Oh, I'm so excited to see it. Yeah, I have to go again. I have to. And it's star-studded. Yeah. 
it's star-studded. Jermaine Fowler, Yvonne Orji. Like, Ooh. it's really, um, it's really good. It's just like, it's so impressive to think, you know, it's, it was like a five-year journey, but to think someone wrote it, produced it, Five starring years, in it. shit. It's like incredible. Wow. It's really cool. I don't really know Dwayne very much. I met him, on, we did a show together once a long time ago, but he was so funny. So I'm excited. Yeah, I'm more, I mean, I've been writing him messages he hasn't responded to, but I'm sure he's busy. <laughs> It's definitely a one-way obsession. You and I also last weekend saw the same movie, but not together, but on, like on the same day. We saw the new Jennifer Lawrence movie. We saw No Hard, no Hard feelings. feelings. It has the thing one is, of those names like something's got to give where you can't remember it. I cannot remember the name of this movie ever. No, I just keep telling people I saw the Jennifer Lawrence movie. Yeah. Like, she's a star. Like, no, I have not remembered the title until this moment. Like, it's really not... Yeah. A part of my brain. But again, funny. And all the previews for the summer look good. I mean, obviously Barbie, but like Joyride looks so good. Wait, what's Joyride? It's um I haven't it's seen a movie a preview for that. with so Joyride is about like two little Asian girls meeting as children. One's adopted and one has like Asian parents and one has white parents and they meet and they become best friends. Cut to the future, they go back to like a trip to the home country for the summer. Like they're 18 or 22 or something like that and it's like wild. It's like just a wild adventure. And the preview, I was cackling. Ashley Park is the star. Sherry Cola's in it. A bunch of dudes. It's it's like a comedy. Oh, okay. I don't know how else to describe it. I love that. <laughs> when you first said it, I think because the other movie, Joyride, that has like Lily Sobieski and Steve Zahn in it is so scary that I was like, is it a scary? Like, I thought it was a scary movie. And then now you're saying it's a, I was like, they go back to, they go back to the homeland. And then what happens? What? Ha like, I thought they were going to get murdered. But oh, it's a no, comedy. It's, it's like funny. It's like they end up, um, the blonde girl from search parties there and they end up, she's a drug, they end up like having to put like cocaine balloons in their assholes. You know, it's like yeah. fun. They have to pretend to be K-pop. Like, it's like a caper. <laughs> a um, caper. Follow four Asian American friends as they bond and discover the truth of what it means to know and love who you are while they travel through Asia in search of their birth mothers. Love that. But it it just looks like, it's the year of movies and comedies because I also can't wait for Stray. Strays? The dog movie? Oh, the dog movie. Yeah. I was laughing out loud in the preview. I just feel like this summer has has come to play. Like this Will summer, Ferrell, yeah. Will Ferrell was meant to voice a dog. Like it's it's it looks so cute that movie and funny. And yeah, No Hard Feelings was great. It yeah. was funny. I laughed a bunch. I enjoyed myself. I wasn't stressed. I don't I know. Think I think it's good. It. Everybody go see comedies, you guys. Like if we don't see comedies, they're truly like going away. They barely make anymore. And now I feel like we're just blessed with this little pocket of comedies right now. But it just, And I'm going to you know. see all of them. I'm going to sign up for Stubbs now because I've not, I haven't wanted to see this many movies in a while. But also I do have a statement. If you are at all care to see Oppenheimer before... Barbie, you are the problem with America and you are <laughs> why Trump won. And you are, you, yeah, you are not on the side of the revolution. I, I, there's like a whole, like a bunch of memes and people are like, you got to see Oppenheimer first and then you go see Barbie as the palate cleanser. And I'm like, what even, I don't have no desire to see it. I, I, I don't even no care what it is. I desire to see Oppenheimer, even though Killian Murphy is very good looking, but... Interesting. 
He I is. Can't. He's he's like, he's kind of like, you know what it is? I never thought he was like that great. And then I saw him in Peaky Blinders and he's kind of like this like strong, quiet boss type. And he's just like hot to me now. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I just remember him on that. I think the movie was called Red Eye with Rachel McAdams where he like takes her hostage on a plane. Oh, I've never seen that. Oh my God. I saw a t-shirt at a store in Denver and it was the Adidas logo, but it said addicted instead of Adidas. <laughs> And oh, and the Adidas was a, a pot leaf. I'm missing a lot of information. You should have gotten that instead of the Rodman jersey. <laughs> well, it was a different. I already. Well, I walked in. No, I, I really. It just felt like fate. I don't know. I wanted the Rodman jersey so. Rodman bad. is like was on the Bulls when you were young. Yeah, and he was okay. my favorite. So, okay, and then it. McDonald's used to have um, him on the cups, and when you poured the the his hair color would change on the cups. Oh my if there was gosh. like a, a liquid in it. I had all the best Rodman merch as a kid. It on, I mean, that's part of the reason I hoard and I'm so scared to get rid of stuff and have this like attachment to stuff because I do regret getting rid of some of my old, like I had old 80s Madonna t-shirts, like Blonde Ambition era. I had um, this amazing fucking Rodman t-shirt that's a chairman of the boards and I, you know, but- and They're just gone. They're just like at Goodwill somewhere. Yeah, they're, I, I just hope they're not in a landfill. I guess that's yeah. what we could... Oh my God, I'm like, I'm such a stoner. Dude, I watched a documentary yesterday on Netflix about a different type of little submarine um, in Denmark. Do you know about this? This guy, no. oh my God, I know we're going long, but this is insane. So this guy, this Denmark scientist, he's, you know, uh, one of these loser types. He's like, I'm going to go to space and build rockets and submarines. He fucking, a journalist went down under. Yes. And he fucking killed, killed her. her. And he's serving life in prison, so we're fine. But wait, what did the story say happened? Like, why did he do it? Because I know, I read about this when it first happened and was like, oh my God, men are horrible. Like, women can't go anywhere. Like, they're just getting murdered. Like, I remember the initial boom of this story, but then like, what happened? Did he like try to have sex with her and she rejected him? Like what was like, what 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 made him kill her? Um, sorry, I, um, I'm just looking. So it's called Into the Deep. Um, okay. Re a really bad name. <laughs> it's not specific <laughs> at all. It's, uh, we're already going too late. I don't know. Cut something else out, Casey. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> and if you're listening and you don't care about the submarine, fast forward. But this, I, I can't believe I forgot to tell you this. I watched it last night. So... He, um, the submarine thing, he was actually dating um, this curly-haired girl who's talked about a lot, and she was supposed to go. And then this journalist, this cool journalist, um, you know, has written for the New York Times and really cool magazines. She was actually moving to Beijing, and she had a going-away party that day, but she, instead she was like, oh, I'll do anything for a story. Let's go. So this journalist just met him, went down to the submarine. He came out alive. She no, she was nowhere to be found. And he basically, the first interview he said was, she wasn't on board with me. I dropped her off. I dropped her off on shore. He kept lying. He's like a true... And then it's one of those situations, it's like the WeWork documentary where everyone's like, he's magnetic. It was hard not to follow him. He's charming, incredible. And then you're watching the footage and you're like, this is a loser. This is a psychopath yeah. loser. There's no charm. He's, of course, he's a liar. So then all of a sudden it was like, oh, she hit her head and I had to give her a burial at sea. And then it was like, oh, I had to do this. And then and obviously all the evidence was found. So 
her torso was found and there was 37 stabs in it and <gasps> there was metal put around it. They also found the submarine and there was like, um, he purposely, there was puncture wounds that he purposely, he wanted everything to sink. Then, unfortunately, head found in a bag, limbs were found, then tools were found, weights he were found. He dismembered her? Oh, my God. So then they search his shit. They find torture porn, beheading porn, like, all this stuff, all these notebooks. <gasps> he loved, he, like, he watched um, torture, beheading, and murder videos. And he, um, all these texts to his girlfriend became, like, shadier and shadier and he like would joke about murdering her but he would he was gonna do it to her just the journalists came through and just like and wanted to do a story but he would have and so the girlfriend keeps crying I mean it was really annoying because all of his friends kept crying about like fuck it was him what about my friendship do I not know and I'm like can we focus on the victim yeah can we please focus on how sad it is that this like young, amazing, cool girl who had no fear and like wanted a report and like loved her job and life and had friends was fucking tortured in a submarine. Can you imagine? Can you fucking imagine? Because you know there's nowhere to go. Oh. And you're just down there. And also like, so this is kind of like the Queen of Versailles documentary where they like come in to document one thing and then the documentary shifts into yeah. something else. Because like the Queen of Versailles was just supposed to be, oh, the biggest home in America is being built. And then it was, oh, we're foreclosed on and losing our money. And then this was like, oh, we're just doing a dock on this guy and this submarine place. And then instead it was like the murder was happening. And so they had footage. He was doing an interview where there was a saw on the wall. And then the next day when they were doing interviews, the saw was gone. He had already put all of the dismembering and torture tools in the submarine. And um, the court set, uh, thanked the documentary crew and how much evidence and how much their footage helped with the case. Wow. But he straight up like tied her in this. I mean, we won't know what happened, but he got off. He wanted to dismember and behead somebody and torture them. And he did it in a submarine. And like everything I was reading about this girl too, like when it first happened was like, I honestly did not hear any of the details of this torture. Like I truly assumed it was like an incel situation where he tried to like have sex with her and she rejected him or something. Oh, but I'm like, sure he sexually assaulted her. Yeah, but like, it was all about how like she was like a it was like it was all about like she was such a hustler like she didn't have a steady job like she had to go get these big stories because journalism is like dying and it's so hard to like get any kind of regular job and so she was like working at all these publications like just trying to get the next big story and so like of course she was like oh great and then she it's like so fucking sad that's horrible oh my god it's horrible that was my nighttime viewing but and but he's like so oh and it's like he he wasn't an engineer like he didn't actually build stuff he had all these interns and people just that believed in the mission and slowly the staff was realizing it and then he's on camera just being like this is my design this is my project other people could say it's theirs it's mine and it's like he doesn't even know how to do engineering and he's just like comes off as such a like bosses I've had throughout the years where they're barely present and know that but they have to assert authority so they'll come complain about like we're an hour behind schedule well, and it's like, who cares? <laughs> you know, or it's like, just like, I just, I've worked with um, bosses like that, that like will come in and just be like, the lighting's not right. And it's like, yeah, there's, we're busy with customers. Yeah. 
they just, they have to make sure everyone knows they're the boss, even though they don't do anything. But thank God he's in prison. And it's the lies right away. Oh no, I dropped her off at shore. Oh no, she hit her head. How oh, do you actually, think I did you're not going to get caught? How do you think you're not going to get caught? Like people Arrogance. knew she was coming to you. It's like crazy. He wanted to build his own rocket and go to space and yeah. be the first amateur in space. It's like arrogance all across delusion, the board. Delusion, drag delusion, baby. Gra but then the girlfriend's obviously lost her mind. She kept crying because it was going to be her. If the story and the journalist didn't come up, he was, they had text messages being like, oh, I can't wait to go into the sub tomorrow. Like it would have been her. Oh my God. And then at first it's like all of his employees and everyone, well, he didn't pay them, but all these people that were like, oh, I hope they find him. And then when they found him and then it's like, he would never, he would never. And then suddenly the evidence and they were like, fuck. And he probably honestly just thought like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just drop her to the bottom of the ocean. They'll never find her. No body, no crime. Like, there we go. That's Crazy. exactly what it was. But it was like, he put metal and chains on everything. Like he wanted everything to sink. He purposely um, sunk a monster. the, the submarine. A monster. Well, on a good news, I think it's because we're all obsessed. So my explore page is a lot of stuff. So there was like a huge giant boat accident, 11 crew members, all presumed dead, like an insane crash. So then um, a few people went to float to find the bodies of the survivors or, or not like of the bodies, whatever. And so they're, they're like swimming around the boat and then a hand grabs them. And there was an air pocket in the, like the demolished boat on the bottom of the sea. But there was somehow an air pocket and a man floated in it for three days. And oh he said, God. he said he like heard all of his friends and crewmates being eaten alive. Like, not alive. They were all drowned. But, like, he he heard people, like, the fish eating all of his <gasps> friends. And he was hallucinating, obviously. And there was, like, he would float, and that's how he didn't get hypothermia. Um, but the photo of him, like, he's been going through it. We'll share it. It's like him being like, Jesus. But you, caught a, you caught a lot of shit in your explore page this week. Damn. <laughs> All right. But straight up, can you they a hand grabbed like the and then everyone's like, it's God, it's God, it's God. And it's like, no, 11 people died. This is not yeah. fucking God. Like you can't yeah. like shut up. But this dude, the will to survive, and thank God the crew came in that day. And he's just halfway in water, but one little pocket of air in this boat Crazy. on the bottom of the ocean. Oh my God. I, I I think I would have given up. I don't think you'd find me in an air pocket. I'd be like, good night. I'm hearing my <laughs> friend getting eaten by a shark. I'm out of here. <laughs> like, I can't. Um, but listen, Casey's already given us 17 flags. We have to go. Um, let's get started. We've got a great guest, a great episode. Don't go anywhere. Right. We got a Rollins episode. We got a Rollins episode for giving <laughs> Rollins. Did you see, uh, I think we, we posted it, but like Ariana and her Lifetime movie, everyone's comparing her to Rollins. Yes. Yes. They totally could play sisters. It's perfect. I know, but I hope they do some like fun social media things together. Or like, I would love to see Ariana and Kelly Giddish do something fun. Some little twins at birth. But... Wouldn't it be funny if, like, while she's out on leave, but they kind of have her coming back to the show, Ariana just was playing her, like, until she goes back from her pregnancy. <laughs> it's just, like, the role of Amanda Rollins will be played in today's performance by Ariana Maddox. I do have to say, uh, Kelly Giddish in this episode, the acting is 
top notch, I would say. Yeah. Top notch acting here. So see, this is Forgiving Rollins. I think I've said it three times. Take a shot. Okay, season 16, <laughs> episode 10. Oh, I just saw something on Instagram where instead of, you know, for weddings, it's like table assignments. It's, you know, people want to be creative. It was one, it was a wall of shots and it said, take a shot and find your table. Ooh, that's cool. That's fun. And so the numbers are on the shot glass, which I think is cute. Um, I think we know too many addicts, so I don't know if we could get away with it, but <laughs> um, it is a cute idea. So this aired January 7th, 2015, and it's a big... So we started a big-ass conference vibe, and a man is talking about a brave new world on a stage, and it's a long table, and there's a lot of people on it, and then it's a bunch of long tables watching with laptops, and everyone's listening and typing. And if you look close, you can see it says Winter Conference, and there's two men in black like security guards, like blocking the door. So mm, what's happening? And the voice is hammering on and on. And I'm like, wait, this sounds familiar. And it's Harry Hamlin. It's the Harry Hamlin. Oh, full uniform. The sauce king. The sauce king. So you'd rather have the bolognese, not the pie, right? Well, I don't eat meat. So I guess I'd have to do the pie unless he could make me some kind of other so vegetarian sauce or like a um, impossible burger sauce or something. I don't know. Sounds I don't know if he's that might be bad. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think he would even. You would have. You have to eat his pie. You got to eat the pie. All right. So he's yeah. in full uniform, and um, basically the point of his speech is that geographical jurisdiction isn't stopping criminals like they used to. So cops have to work together and share information. And then he brings up Pattern Seventeen rapist, and that's an episode we covered. Pattern Seventeen, and um, for that episode we had Josh uh, Pice on the show. It was like a really good episode about like backlogs of rape kits and such. So we see Rollins, Finn, and Amaro are in the crowd, and now we see. Benson's actually at the t on the table at the on the stage. So then, like, Harry Hamlin's talking about, like, and thank you to the NYPD who helped solve this case for us and, like, oh, you know, whatever. does so much for Across the Nation. And he starts talking about Rollins, but then he takes full credit for all of her work and how it was his idea to test the DNA. Um, but he actually made it harder and was a menace the whole fucking time. So she's visibly annoyed, but probably is used to his like scumlord behavior. And then we see Harry now at the mixer after the rape winter conference, and he's drinking with a young blonde woman right near him. And then we hear the voices of our crew talking shit about him, like, fuck his ass. We do the work. And the rape kits sit in your department for six years. And then they're taking a victory lap. And Rollins quotes some AA meeting stuff about like, you know, do you can't control the things you can't, you know, stay strong, whatever. So Finn is like, I will not go to dinner with him. And he and the blonde approach, as him and the blonde approach. And so he's being patronizing to Rollins and they're all just quietly nodding at his idiotic musings. And then he intros the blonde, finally. And it's Detective Reese Tamor. And he calls her darling. And it's her first conference. So Benson says, welcome to New York. And then Reese is just like me. And she goes, oh, just like the song. And so, you know, I like that we're the same. <laughs> and she is fangirling Benson. She's gushing. She knows her old cases. But then the violins start playing. Uh, Rollins looks pissed. Harry keeps calling her darling as well. And then they finally walk away. And Rollins says, yep, Atlanta. They're so polite. And Amara walks over to the three amigos and he drops the ball that the Atlanta people want to go to dinner. And Finn goes, I'm out of here. And he runs away. <laughs> 
Benson goes home to Noah and Amaro's like, great, just you and me. And Rollins goes, no, I'm not really good at hanging out with the good old boys. And Amaro's like, well, Reese is coming. Rollins says, nah, I gotta go walk Franny and runs off. So they pan to the other Atlanta cop um, that was causing issues for Rollins in Pattern 17. And he's a favorite. He's been in tons of episodes of SVU. He was in the episode Raw. He plays the racist father with a plan. And he is wearing an orange creamsicle-colored shirt. So the music swells louder, and Rollins is alone at a bar drinking whiskey, and the bar is bustling. Like, people, it really looks like a Friday night date bar. Like, everyone is packed like sardines, and she is just, like, alone sitting in a world of her own, and she wants another one, and she is just, like, very shook and not happy. We're now at the office, and Amaro's like, holy shit, those guys can put it away. He says he left, and they kept drinking, and Finn laughs and goes, ha-ha, Rollins stuck you with them. And then Finn on his desk, my favorite, he has bodega breakfast and an empty, like, iced coffee cup, which I'm obsessed with. And in the background, another cop is getting food delivered to the precinct. So it seems like everyone is hungover today at work. And Amaro gets closer to Finn and goes, what's up with those guys? What's the deal? And he goes, just talk to Rollins. I... I'm done. So Rollins walks in with her sunglasses still on and she's looking for Benson. And uh uh-oh, Finn answers a call and then he says to all of them, bad news. Hotel rape last night and the victim is Reese, the young detective from Atlanta. So, yeah. So we cut to the hospital and the gorgeous doctor is telling Benson and Rollins um, in like a walk and talk. She had a giant head wound and she like knocked out in the bathroom and we found her on the bathroom tile floor of the hotel. And she was found by the maid and she disclosed her rape to the ER nurse. So they ran a kit. Um, There's no drugs, but booze levels were high, 1.2. But there's bite marks and bruising and it's not good. So they go in to talk to Reese and Reese is being played by Dreama Walker, perfect name. And um, she's the perfect actress from Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. And so she's just like, oh, I must have drank too much. My bad. And she's like, you know, I went to get water and I fell. It's not a big deal. And Rollins pushes her like, what about the assault? And there's a long pause. She says, I don't know what you mean. Clearly, this is a lie. Benson says, the nurse said that you disclosed. And she's like stuttering and denying it. And Rollins says, Finn needs her and runs off. And then Reese says she feels stupid even having come here. And Benson's like, girl, let's just start from the beginning. What happened? The music plays and she says, we had drinks. He escorted me to my door, used false pretense to enter. While um, we hear her talk, we cut to Rollins walking fast and flustered in the halls of the hospital. And Dreama continues that when she, you know, wanted to sleep, it became something else. And Rollins is teary-eyed and brushing her hair around. And then it cuts back to her talking. So it's like a cut back and forth scene. And Dream is like, I can't believe that I'm saying these words out loud. And then she stops talking and Benson goes, this will not just go away. And she responds, yes, it will. And Benson reminds her that they're going to pull the security footage and find out who did this. And she struggles and finally says, it was my boss, Deputy Chief Patton. So as you see, I won't press charges or testify. I cannot. Rollins is breathing deep in the hall. And then we go into credits. So we're back. And it's act one, and we open up on Daddy Dodds and Browse and all, and he is shaken up about the whole thing, and he really misses homicide. You know, a lot of these cops, they just want a dead victim. They they just cannot (laughs) talk to an alive woman. They're so hysterical. The tears, the mascara. 
I needed just a dead body on the sidewalk. Or it's not enough tears and they're lying, you know? (laughs) Uh, Benson gives him the scoop. Semen, bruises, bite marks, alcohol, you know, the big ones. Uh, Finn jumps in that they had adjoining rooms. So, uh uh-oh, that makes it look even worse. Gallagher's like, fuck, did she invite him in? And Benson's like, no, she allowed him in, not invited. There is a big difference. And he's like, are you sure it wasn't just like a rough, drunk sex night? Again, why is it always... A question. Like, why is the base not always, okay, what happened? Let's investigate. Yeah. Why is it always trying to question the victim who, again, gains nothing from this at all? Benson goes, or it was rape. We're SVU. And then it's like, wait, Rollin knows him. Let's find out what she thinks. So we cut to Amaro trying to bond with Rollins as she ignores him. And he's like, would your old boss do this? And is Blondie credible? She said she wasn't there for her disclosure. And then at that moment, Finn lets her know Dodds wants to see her. So she walks in there as Amaro pouts and like lingers in thought. Rollins explains that Patton is very smart and political and was her boss for six years and he's been married a very long time. And Finn is like, okay, well, why wasn't his wife at the convention then? And she's standing there like a kid at the principal's office, like really small and meek and obviously holding something back. And she's saying she has not heard anything or is privy to his personal life at all. And they're like, okay, listen, tell us what we want to know. Is he capable of something like this? She's like, you never know what people are capable of. And that is a very true statement. And then bangs are looking amazing. Her bangs are perfect in this scene. So Finn and Rollins walk off as Benson and Dodd stay in the office. And she's like, I mean, this is awkward for her and her loyalties. And he's like, well, we should be loyal to him too. He is a fellow officer. And it's like, so is she. Like, I don't understand why we have to be careful with him and give him respect because he's a police officer but that's not extended to the young woman officer. Like, it it, it it, just pisses me off. I know it's a scripted show, but I'm livid. And so he wants to hear from him and demands that, like, you know, he be the one to question him. So it's Hamlin versus Browse. Suit on suit, man to man. And he's like, damn, the box, huh? And Gallagher's like, come on, you know, optics, man. So then the little <laughs> dance begins. So Hamlin is very chill. He's confident and he's not proud of being a chief. But, you know, that girl and him were involved. They had sex and he admits it and he claims it was consensual. And he's just like, we were just wasted. And then Eyebrows is like, well, guess what, Bob? She said it wasn't consensual. And Hamlin's like, well, no, I get that. We're in an interrogation room. I'm not a fucking idiot. And Gallagher's like, listen, just give me the reason she would make this up about you. And Finn calls it the good old boy routine while spying. And Benson's like, yeah, he's really good at this. And Rollin goes, well, so is Pat. So, okay. So, and if any of you are confused, Patton is Hamlin and Browse Gallagher is Dodds. So, (laughs) they will be intermixed throughout the episode. A lot of nicknames. Get used to it. So Hamlin says she's really smart and a great detective, but he's she's getting back at him for not leaving his wife for her. And this is payback. And then he suggests that he should talk to her. And Browse is like, nice try, Buster. That's obviously against protocol. And he asks if this is a setup. And then it clicks. Like, And then he gets mad. And then looks at the mirror and goes, I think Amanda Rollins put her and all of you up to this. And it's like, wait, what? Where did this even come from? You're telling on yourself here. And he says she has an axe to grind. And she left Atlanta because she got around. And she threw herself at him to save her sister. Rollins is pissed 
pissed but silent. Hamlin tries to leave and tells Dodds he better not leave the city. Um, and the press would get wind of it and then that would look really bad. And Hamlin goes, yeah, okay. And next time we talk, you'll be talking to my lawyer. So Morrow says, don't worry. Nobody would believe a word he says. And Rollins is like, well, everybody does back home. So dramatic music plays and Rollins walks off. Finn tries to stop her, but she wants to be alone and like get out of the office. So we're back at the bar and she is drinking and Finn finds her and he's like, it took me forever to track you down in Long Island City. And I think that's perfect. She obviously lives in Long Island City. Like to me, that is where she lives. Yeah, it fits. Like, it's not Brooklyn. It's a quick, you know, train ride on the 7 or, like, right into the city. And it's still high rises. She is by the water jogging. Like, I just never put it together, but I'm obsessed. I mean, sometimes I feel like she's running downtown Manhattan. Maybe she moved or, like, she just likes that. But, yeah, because sometimes the views are of New Jersey, I feel like, when she's running sometimes. Like, she's on the west side like Esplanade, but I could be wrong. Yeah, so maybe she runs after work or something. Yeah. I don't know, but I just was like, she would fucking get a luxury building at this time. It wasn't that, like, popular yet. She probably got a deal. I don't know. I'm just, like, obsessed. But she clearly, like, doesn't want to talk about it. And Finn obviously wants her to talk. She says she, too, once was um, Patton's shiny blonde protege. Smart and good, his type. And it wasn't like that at first. Um, But then her sister got arrested, and Patton calls her into the office. And it was, like, super late, and nobody was there. And he said that he could make it go away. And it was her sister, so she fucking did it. I mean, the amount of, like, problems that Kim Rollins has caused... In Amanda's life. <laughs> Don't stop. They do not the stop. They go so far back. And she's just always had this little bitch's back. So um, Reese is telling the truth, Finn asks. We got to let Barba know. But Rollins is really hesitant to do that. And Finn is like, he needs to know that he's capable of this and that he's a predator. And she's like, listen, I'm not going to say I was raped. Patton fights dirty. And Finn is like, well, what about this girl? And Rollins says, well, she'll get over it. And it's like, okay, SVU detective. And then she says, the girl might be a slut and she can go back to Atlanta and pretend like nothing happened. And she looks at him and says, let it go. And Finn does not like this. And so now we quickly cut to a meeting Rollins did get roped into. So Rollins, Daddy Dodds, Barba, and Benson are in a meeting. She says that she put herself in a bad position and that Patton took advantage of her, but it's on her. She will not say that she was raped, but she does say she, like, off the record... Off my personal experience, I believe Tamor is telling the truth. So Barbara breathes in. Dodds is like, oh no, what do we do? And Benson's like, easy, arrest him. But Barbara says that Tamor won't testify or come forward. So Rollins is like, I'll go fucking talk to her. So she goes to visit Tamor. Um, and Tamor is packing. And there's a souvenir statue of Liberty in her suitcase, loose. And I just love that. Like... <laughs> She always going to want to remember this trip to New York. Yeah. Um, and, she, you know, she's packing in a rush. So Rollins walks in and she's like, um, oh, did the chief tell you to come here to zip me up? Um, I'm zipping up and I'm going home. So shut up. And Rollins is like, no, I'm here to convince you of the opposite. And Dream is like, oh, sure. You just want justice for little old me so everyone back home can know what happened. She is 
pissed. Um, and she's like, oh, you want them to call me a slut just like you? And Rollins works her flirty, convincing Southern charm. And Dream is like, ugh, I knew his reputation. Like, I try dodging all of his touches and advances. And so then Rollins is surprised and is like, oh, so you're not having an affair? No, capital N-O. And to me, this is so silly because why would she believe the rumors about her if she the rumors about Rollins were fake. Like, right. I don't get, I don't get that at it's all. Not clicking, yeah. So she's disgusted that that's what he's saying. And Captain Reynolds um, just had his back, huh? Rollins is like, yeah, he sucks. I turned him down, and she's like, you didn't think you were Chief Patton's first good girl. And then it all clicks, and she's like, damn. So everything they said about you and why you left isn't true. And we get an impassioned like no from Rollins. And then we cut to the Atlanta men eating and drinking in probably a midtown like shit box at like a tourist <laughs> trap. Like I just fucking see them walking into a restaurant off of 42nd Street, like so bad. Um, and so then Dodds, Finn, and Amaro interrupt the dinner. And they're like, you're under arrest for rape, bitch. And he gets up, he gives his gun to the captain, wipes his mouth with a napkin, throws it on the ground aggressively. And also he tells his friends like, get me that big lawyer we met. Get, get me that lawyer. Rollins is walking Franny and, you know, super cute. Everything's nice. She's in a white little beanie, ship, um, sheep-lined brown suede jacket. Very, um, I think Stabler would wear this coat. And then a car pulls up. Fuck, who's it going to be? And it's Reynolds. It's the guy from Raw and like the captain, the one under Harry Hamlin. And he tracked her using her cell phone. He's like, whatever, I'm a cop. Of course I fucking tracked you. Totally normal behavior. But he wants her to know that she's making a mistake. Then he calls her darling again. Um, he's a true menace. And I, do, I just like every Southern tradition I'm against fully. Like, I hate ma'am. I hate darling. I hate everything <laughs> about the South except the food. Like, I really just hate it. And so um, he claims that this is just payback and it's like, sure, loser. And he says, you slept with the chief and it backfired and this is what you get. Get over it. And she says, Patton's a liar. But, you know, obviously the boys stick together and he blames all the blondes for being ambitious. So not, on, not only are the women sluts, but they're ambitious and no one loves an ambitious woman. He then keeps getting closer to her and is like, yeah, I know you didn't fuck me so you can get to the big boss. I know exactly who you are and you need to chill out. And he keeps walking closer to her and so she knees him in his dick and he falls to the ground and he calls her a bitch and she says, why don't you go tell your wife I say hello? That's another thing. They're all fucking married. Yeah. Okay, so then we cut to another running scene. I mean, I guess when you have a pet, you got to just keep walking and running. So, yeah. <laughs> and she needs to run all the time to prep for all her Central Park undercover running work. She, like, has to be in the most shape of any of the other police officers. So she's running, but this time she's wearing an olive-colored beanie. So she, I can't, you know, I wonder how big her extensive her beanie collection is. Barba now runs behind her. Like, he really pops out of nowhere. And they're dressed like Julia Louis-Dreyfus and, um, was it David Duchovny in Christmas Vacation? They're like yes. that couple. Like, they're dressed like that. Margo. <laughs> <laughs> so they're dressed like athletic. Like, um, and have you seen, there's like this famous, maybe it's not famous, but it's like these two really thin greyhounds and they're wearing winter wear. No. I mean, all greyhounds are very thin, but it's like these like beautifully dressed greyhounds and the tweet was like, the, they look like every villain in a movie. 
Uh, oh my God, uh, that's cute. Oh wait, David Duchovny is not in Christmas Vacation. That's somebody else who has like slick back hair. It's just You're so right, random. I was thinking of David Duchovny and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Isn't that him? Oh, and maybe it was in Beethoven. He plays the, David Duchovny is in Beethoven, right? Is he the, the air freshener guy or no? We'll post the photo of the dogs as a side-by-side with Barba and Rollins running and you will see they look identical. David Duchovny, David Duchovny is the guy I was thinking of from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, by the way. He is a bad guy in that too. Yeah, so basically the whole point of all of these asides is that they look athletic and they're running and they look funny and evil. Okay, and we have to move on. But he's like, slow down. Like he cannot keep up with Rollins and she's in a (laughs) bad mood. And he threatens a subpoena and she's like, I'm not fucking talking. And he's like, no, if you're not my witness and defense is going to call you up and you're going to be their witness and they're accusing you of revenge. She's like, I move. And to me, I was like, she moved. Leave her alone. Like, how are you still doing this? Like, she fucking left. She left. She left town. She's quiet. She's not saying anything. Like, why would she be doing revenge? She got up and left. Leave her alone. You came to do a conference in her city. She solved your fucking crimes. Like, it pisses me off. So she runs off. She, you know, she smokes Barba. So guess what? Guess who Hamlin hired? It's Buchanan. And they're eating at an empty restaurant. And not empty in the way of like, oh, it's shitty, but empty in like, oh, they came here early because that like we're so important. Like that they got open earlier, like while the staff is, you know, opening up. Because I always think about when Anne Hathaway got that steak for Miranda Priestly. You know, like it was before the restaurant opened. And I think just important people, you can get a steak whenever you want. Okay, so Buchanan's trying to make a deal with Barba and Dodds. Um, and Dodds is there's a courtesy for the NYPD. And, you know, he's like, we're not going to treat your Atlanta asses nicely. Um, and Buchanan's like, shut up. This is why you have lawyers. Let us work. Like, we don't need you to talk. And so they do some law mortal combat. Um, they keep calling her, <laughs> they keep calling her ambitious and tipsy. Um, the two worst things a woman can be. And <laughs> Buchan- maybe that's merch. That's merch. Ambitious and tipsy, baby. That's merch. I love Write that. Write it down. I'm putting it in my note, in in my notes, <laughs> in my notes article. What what is it? Notes app. You guys tell us if you would buy ambitious and tipsy. Should it be koozies? Is it a koozie? Uh, <laughs> so Buchanan makes it seem like Hamlin is the victim because his wife is mad at him. But Barbara's like, I truly don't care about him or his wife. I'm not dismissing. And rape is a felony. So unless it's sexual abuse, three, we're not talking. Hamlin threatens him like, okay, boy, we'll see when one of you city slickers is down in Atlanta. And Hamlin calls Barba a Spanish dandy. We're, I mean, we're getting the idea that this man is not only a rapist, but he is uh, racist as well. Well, So add that on there. Wait, what is a dandy though? I love that. That's like a cute name too. I hope it's not a, a slur in itself. A dandy is like, well, I feel like it's like a... It, it's like a guy who's very like neat and put together and has style. It's like, I feel like what we used to call a metrosexual, it used to be called a dandy, but now you can't say metrosexual. You shouldn't say metrosexual either. That's like bad, but it's like, you know, a guy that's like into his looks and and like his style. A stylish man, really. Yeah, someone that cleans their butt. That's 
<laughs> That's the whole thing. So I get this all gets serious after the Spanish Spanish dandy comment, obviously. Yeah. Um, and he says Reese and Rollins wanted to fuck him, and that's that. And Barba is sickened by this man. And Dodds is pissed he wasted his time. And Buchanan's like, okay, come on. How about a salt three? No registry, no time. Like, what? In your dreams. Yeah. So fuck off. Um, you know, things don't work out. And then Barba leaves what well, before. But before he leaves, he speaks Spanish right at Hamlin. And we're in court with Barba chatting up Benson, who's on the stand. And she's giving them just facts. Um, and then they pan to the camera uh, to Hamlin. And holy shit, behind him is his wife, Queen Becky Ann Baker. She is also in the season four episode. Um, she's a mom in the episode Juvenile, which is one of the ones that haunts me forever. Um, where she makes the wrong call and doesn't agree to a deal. And so then her son is actually charged as an adult and gets life in prison. But the little boy who is underage, who actually stabbed and killed the woman, is a minor, and he gets less time. And she, Ugh. like, screams in the courtroom. And, like, they're like, please take the deal. I think it was Eliana Douglas that was like, please. And she's like, no, no, they'll believe my son. And it's like gripping, but she's also the mom of Lena Dunham and girls. Obviously, she's the mom from Freaks and Geeks. I fucking love her. And she's Miranda's sister in the funeral episode of Sex in the City. And she gives birth to an alien in the back of the car in Men in Black. So... Wow. We stand. What a career. We love her. I'm obsessed. And, um... I guess we got to see if the other episode's based on a crime and fucking get Becky Ann Baker here immediately (laughs) because I do not want to live another day without knowing she's on our schedule. So now we're back. But shockingly, Buchanan has no questions for Benson. Shocked. Hamlin and Baker keep making eye contact and she's standing by her man. And Rollins is in the hallway with Finn, who's surprised she came. And Amaro's there too. And he fucking hates it. He's like, Hamlin keeps looking at his wife. This like, and then Finn is like straight up. is like, I hate this smug prick. Rollins is like, oh, Vivian's here. And she's right behind her. Hi, Amanda. And so they chat. And she's being Southern, nice, very polite, but I don't trust it. I don't trust her at all. And I'm like waiting for the shade to start. So she asks about her mom and sister and Rollins gives like mean, fake, sweet Southern vibes right back to her. Like, oh, that was so sweet of you to ask with everything you got going on. And I feel like Rollins like ups her Southern accent too. And like she wants. (laughs) And then um, Vivian's like, me? No, I'm blessed. And um, she goes, everyone back home knows what a great man Charlie is, and we have their full support. She goes, oh, well, there's my man now. And so she walks off, and I, like, love this exchange so much because it gives nothing, but it gives everything. You know, everything is, like, secret and undercover. So now Dream is on the stand, and I'm not looking forward to what Buchanan's going to try to do. So she's getting some Barba time. She's describing the professional relationship she has with Harry Hamlin and what happened that night in the adjoining rooms. So he told her that his cell phone demagnetized the key card. Now, does that happen anymore? I feel like that's not an issue anymore. I, it hasn't happened to me in a long time. I always feel like I try to keep it away from my credit cards, too. Like, I don't know. I just don't think it's such a thing. a while. No, I think, but I don't know what technology has changed or not, but I just don't find it an issue anymore. Let us know if you've recently had an issue getting into a hotel after it touched <laughs> something because I think technology has advanced. So basically he's like, fuck, my card's not working. I don't want to go down to the front desk. Can I just use 
your room and then use the adjoining doors. And my brain immediately, because we we sometimes have adjoining doors, it needs yeah. to be unlocked. Like, you can't just right. get it. That would be psychotic if you could just yeah. go in between hotel room doors. Like, it's only murders in the building, like a fun little caper. Like, it's not so They're allowed. fully deadbolted from inside the room. Yeah, so that's where my little detective brain went. So you know, we'll keep going. So then he went inside and he suggested room service and she's like, oh, actually food sounds nice, but he ordered champagne and she didn't want to be rude. So she had one glass and then he kissed her. She pulled away and she's like, ew, you're married. And he said, don't you know by now, I don't take no for an answer. Then he pushed her down on the bed, bit her lip. Uh, She said, no, don't do this. He slapped her. And she was so stunned. And then he raped her. And she said that he finished and told her to clean herself off for the conference tomorrow and then went to his room. Sicko. And they cut to Benson, who smiles and nods her head in understanding disgust like this motherfucker. And so... She, Tamor continues. I keep wanting to call her Julie Tamor. It's Reese. Reese. <laughs> Reese, not Witherspoon. <laughs> like, and I want to call her Dreama, but this is like dramatic. I don't know. So she was embarrassed and ashamed. And she finished the champagne and passed out. And then she fell in the bathroom. And that's like, you know, the hospital and Benson and the nurse. And that's when, you know, we, we're caught up now. And she didn't want to cooperate because she was scared for her career um, and that it would be over and that nobody would believe her. But what he did is a crime. And she had to do something so it doesn't happen to someone else. She wouldn't want that on her conscience. And they immediately, like, cut to Rollins. And this is, like, Bravo-style editing. Like, this is so shady where it's like, I would never say that. And then you just cut to the bitch lying. So it's like, (laughs) you know, and Rylans is ashamed and she lowers her head and maybe, you know, it sucks. It really sucks that now she has that kind of guilt on her as well. So Barbara's done and now Buchanan has to go make us sick. So right away, he is like, you're saying you and Patton were never romantic before. And she yells, no. And he's obviously going to try to spin this. So he's like, well, you drank and then you were at the same conference and you were on the same flight. So obviously you wanted to get raped. Obviously. The evidence. I mean, <laughs> you were on the same flight. So he then shames her for not yelling or fighting and that she doesn't have defensive wounds. And she understandably says, I froze. And now he shames her that, you know, why didn't you call the cops faster? And it's like, why are you wanting people to call the cops so they just be- not believe her sooner? It's not like, <laughs> like, like, that's the other thing with this timeline stuff. Like, you're not, whether it's a day or seven days, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like the believing. Cause what if she was still drunk that morning? What if her breath alive, you know, like there's always a reason not to believe a woman. So then he's like, you're an SVU detective. How would you act towards a a drunk lying slut like you? (laughs) She's like, I would try to be understanding. (laughs) So... (laughs) He's bending down into her and like trying to fuck with her and all the detectives' faces are like, fuck, we're fucked. What's going to happen? And so now Rollins and Tamor have a little run-in in the bathroom. This is like a really intense day for Rollins. So many, <laughs> so many run-ins. And Reese is pissed and is like, bitch, you convinced me to testify and you're not taking the stand. So Rollins knows she got got. And she looks at her hypocrite face in the mirror with shame. And so now she's on the stand and she explains the situation, what went down with her sister and that led to, you know, Patton's creepy behavior. And then we pull away and it's not 
court. She's not on the stand. She's on the stand, but it's an empty courtroom. She's practicing with Barbara and she's annoyed she even has to practice because she knows the judge isn't even going to allow this. But she fidgets and she starts talking again and Barbara's like, listen, we have to do it just in case. So then he's listening to her talk and he's getting upset listening as well. And so she mentions the biting, the drunk motel night, and then he banged um, like her head against the headboard and she was bleeding and she tried to get up and he said, Amanda, you know I don't take no for an answer. And Barbara asks her gently to like keep talking and she says that he pinned her wrists above her head and told her she wasn't going anywhere and that nobody would would believe her anyways. So she just gave up and she's looking down and she then says that he raped me. And she says this all with her eyes closed. And then she looks up to Barbara shrugs and as tears well up in her eyes. Buchanan and Hamlin are like, that little bitch, I can't believe she's trying to do this. And the judge and the lawyers strut on over to the bench. And Buchanan objects to the witness, obviously. And Barbara's like, okay, but like, we can let her speak to pattern. But the judge, unfortunately, says no, that Rollins cannot testify. So the prosecution rests. And unfortunately, they have no more witnesses. And once we return from a recess, the defense witnesses can begin. Rollins is in the hallway and she's pissed and Barbara's like, we knew it was going to be a long shot. Come on. And she's like, that was so fucking traumatic. And Benson's like, okay, so what next? And Barbara's like, listen, I'll get his ass. Do not worry. It's a he said, she said, and I'll make him fucking say something. Rollins looks nervous, but there's nothing else she can do. So he's on the stand, Harry Hamlin, and he says that the only true victim in all this is his wife. And they cut to her poofy-ass 80s hairdo, and she has a yellow blazer with a white flower pin. I mean, she is so Georgia. And he was just (laughs) flattered. He said that a young girl even wanted to fuck him. And so he's very sorry to the police, and his wife is so good, and she's incredible, and I feel so bad. But as God is my witness, it was consensual, and that he would never harm a woman. So... Buchanan lets him, you know, lets him off easy with all this fucking lies. Barbara's turn. So it's like, get him. You know, what's going to happen? So he's like, okay, so you were a mentor and then there was an affair. And he says, I'm not proud of that. And Barbara goes, okay, so everything was going fine, right? So why would she come to New York to cry rape? And he's like, well, there's a reason she's angry that I'm not going to leave my wife. And Barbara goes, okay, fine. Hmm. Well, you said you never hurt a woman. Does that include other blonde subordinates? Objection sustained. (laughs) He then is happy to name her and says, oh, you mean Rollins or even that other girl? I didn't do it to them. (laughs) And Buchanan's like, oh shit, you idiot. Because it's like, you just named all these people. Like, I mean, Barbara is so good. So it's like, you're fucking telling on yourself. He didn't, he didn't say anything. So... And then he continues to tell on himself and he goes, any of them, none of that. Like, he keeps just being like, millions of women are lying. (laughs) It's just really silly. But he goes, that's just what they say when they don't get what they want. And Buchanan, you could see, is like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Like, (laughs) I am fucked. And the judge suddenly strikes, um, you know, this chunk from the record, though. And I guess that question was not okay. So he's like, okay, fine. Let's chat conference. Why didn't you bring your wife to New York? And he's like, New York in January. Yuck. But also, I've not seen the level of outerwear that you need when it's January in New York. They, Especially if you're Rollins and that's your thing. Yeah, I just felt like their coats were very November. Like, not January. <laughs> but, you know, he goes, listen, and it's all business anyways. And Barbara pushes, oh, business? Really? At 1 a.m. drunk with a clearly drunk, like, 
Tamor? And he's like, I mean, we were networking. And so he's like, but your key card didn't work. And he starts to feel pain in his arm. And so maybe he's going to fake a stroke. We don't really know. But he's like, you know, rubbing his arm. And we're about to have an L Woods moment. So, Bar, I love this. I mean, I like pump my fists in the air after this moment. So (laughs) Barbara's like, well, if you're having an affair, then why the key card ruse? Why? If you're having an affair and she's into it, why aren't you making out in the hall? Like, why would you have to lie about the key card? It's just such a good point. It's like, ugh. Um, So he's like, the point of adjoining rooms is you enter separate and meet in the middle. Like, hello. And Hamlin is just like stuttering and stammering and the camera is shaking. And he's like, uh, uh, uh. And he's rubbing his arm harder. And now he starts coughing. And Barbara's just like slam dunk, baby. And he goes, and how did you know your side of the adjoining room was going to be open? So... That's something I thought of. Also, Detective Traeger's question. So this is amazing. Yeah, if you're having an affair, the whole point of adjoining rooms is you enter in your own room secretly so no one can tell that you're having an affair. So it's like, he's just an idiot. He fucking planned to rape her. He planned all of this. Barbara is getting him. And I am just like, wet as hell. I'm like obsessed. (laughs) So then Hamlin then goes, you son of a bitch. Um, As he's like, like coughing. The subtitle said hacking. So he is hacking, not just a chill, you know, cough. So it's like a full heart attack. Bye, bitch. Rollins looks annoyed. And we're in Benson's office with a knock-knock from Amanda. He did not have a heart attack. Benson fills Rollins in that it was an anxiety attack. So fuck, what's going to happen to the trial? Nobody knows. But of course, Benson wants to talk, have a heart-to-heart. So Benson is begging Rollins to deal with all this. And she explains, like, you're going to stay trapped and stuck. And and this is like an opportunity to free yourself. Rollins responds, you're only as sick as your secrets. And the secret is out. So... I'll be fine. Benson just wants her to have compassion for her younger self. And Rollins begins, like, her eyes begin to water. And she's having a hard time not blaming herself. And Benson is frustrated. And then a call back to an insult. Rollins uh, flung in her in another episode. And she's like, I know you think therapy is paying for someone to hear you talk. And it is. That's actually 100% the definition. I don't even know how that's an... I mean, it was insulting the way Rollins said it to her, but... It is the truth. Uh, But Rollins is sorry. And she's like, oh, sorry about that. Um, And she's like, well, make it up to me and see my therapist. And she's like, I'm not seeing your therapist, which I agree with. But Benson already knows that. And she's like, no, it's for a referral. He has space today. Not a good sign. Your therapist should be booked. But she takes the card and walks off. Benson is flipping through a magazine on a couch, gripping a pillow. And she's at an MD's office. We see like the nameplate on the door. So, so exciting. She finally went to the appointment. She's going to see this therapist get a referral. Nope, she runs off. Ha ha, did I get ya? So... While she's <laughs> running off, construction workers heckle her as she cries walking. And they're just like, oh, what are you doing? Smile. And it's like, she's crying. Like, it's just, people are so sick. And so Buchanan is out there making money, trying to say that Hamlin's health is like, you know, it's not right and whatever. And I'm like, whatever, fuck this little bitch boy. But like, what are we going to do with the trial? And Barbara's like, I'm sorry, anxiety is not health related. Like, you can go back to trial. And Buchanan's like, how about we just plead to sexual abuse in the third degree? He will go on the registry, which I think is important. And then it's probation, community service, but no jail time. And he gets to retire first. And Benson's like, oh, yeah, sure. So he can still get his pension. And Buchanan's like, I mean, won't somebody think of his wife? (laughs) And so they're framing it like he just needs money for his wife. But whatever. The registry is, like, pretty important, I think. And, like, not—and having to retire, everyone's going to know, like— 
I bet all his guys are still going to believe him, though. Like, I bet they're still going to be like, oh, those ambitious, tipsy women. Yeah. And so he can never work in law enforcement again. And he agrees silently. Um, but that's not enough. And Barba pushes and goes, you need to allocute in court what you did. And he answers fine, like as he, like if he has a choice. Um, and I love a defeated man. So <laughs> we head to allocution time. Our squad watches him with Dreama. And, you know, so he has to say he's guilty. So then the judge is like, do you have anything to say? Would you like to say anything to the people, your victims? And he looks at them. So he like looks at fucking Rollins and Reese and like stares at them and goes, Goes, turns back to the judge and goes, no, your honor, still a fucking dick. And finally, finally, they're wearing coats. Finally, they're warm enough. And Amaro's <laughs> like, he plays this guy all the time. I don't know. Amaro's annoying, but he goes, he, Amaro's pissed. He goes, what the fuck? No jail time? And Finn's like, at least he's on the registry and I'm Finn in this situation. And then Rollins goes, at least it's over. And Amaro is like, yeah, I heard you. Um, I hope you take some time off. And she goes, yeah, I need, I do need to take some time off. So she walks off separate from the boys, wind in her hair, a very crisp day, and she walks and I thought she was going to go gamble. So I'm glad it's just a walk. <laughs> Yeah, best case scenario for Rollins. She doesn't head to Atlantic City. Yeah. Wow. That's the episode, guys. A real good one. We get just another episode. Harry Hamlin. Another episode where the NYPD intimately interfaces with another state's police departments. <laughs> it's always like, let's team up with Chicago, Atlanta. All right. Well, the true crime is a ride, and we'll you're about to you're in for it. Just hold on. <laughs> Okay, so look, we go to a lot of different resources to fill out our spreadsheet on like what these crimes are based on. And like when we first started the podcast, like I found some lists, I found a list in a book. I found lists online. There's a very, very one that we reference all the time. The SVU fandom has like very uh, up, more updated links to what people think the crime is. For this one, we had it listed as the Russell Williams crime. As I'm looking at it, it seems very tenuously connected, but it's not connected to any other Law & Order SVU episodes. And it is a wild fucking crime. So we're just covering it. I'm sorry if it's not if it doesn't match up exactly, but I think it's worth it. So this is a Canadian joint. This happens in Canada. Um, shout out to all our Canadian listeners. You guys have a lot of serial killers up there. So... This crime is so much worse than what television writers put together in a room is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, it's so much more out of control. So January 28th of 2010, a 27-year-old named Jessica Lloyd vanishes from her home in Belleville, Ontario, Canada. The police find tire tracks in the snow near her home and the Ontario Provincial Police, aka OPP, yeah, you know them, <laughs> did a canvas of all the people using the highway near her home on the night of her disappearance. David Russell Williams, heretofore referenced as Russell Williams, I guess that's what he went by, was a colonel in the Royal Canadian Air Force. He was a decorated officer who had flown VIP flights for the Queen, Prince Philip, the governor general, and the prime minister. He had a top secret security clearance. He 
months before this, had been sworn in as CFB Trenton's wing commander in charge of Canada's largest and most important military airbase. So on the day of this, these tracks being found, he's actually driving his Nissan Pathfinder instead of his usual BMW. And another officer happened to notice the resemblance of his treads when they were doing this canvas to the ones that they found near Lloyd's home. So about a week later, February 7th, a week after she disappears, Ottawa police call Williams and ask him to come in for questioning. They start questioning him at 3 p.m. And by 7.45, this motherfucker is spilling his guts. Like truly took him four hours, less than five hours to just confess to everything. And all they had were tire treads. Are those like fingerprints? Like, is there only one Nissan Pathfinder in Ontario? It's like very confusing to me. I know the last like couple crimes I've been like, go to trial, see what happens. You're not going to get caught. But like, I didn't, I, this guy confesses everything based on these tire tracks. So he confesses to a ton of wild crimes breaking and entering, and sexual assault. He told police where they could find evidence hidden in his house, trophies from his crimes, as well as photographs taken of his victims and pictures of him posing in their underwear. So he didn't have okay. Buchanan as a lawyer. He he just... He, he did not have Buchanan as a lawyer. He just started chatting up a storm. Yeah. Do you think there's a Canadian Buchanan? I don't feel like Canadian people are so nice. Can, Buchanan's so cutthroat. I know a couple but, of cunts from Canada. Don't worry. <laughs> Canadian cunts, another piece of merch. Okay, he, this this is just so wild. So he told them what he did with Jessica's body, which they found the next morning. And basically what happened was the day before she died, Williams saw her on a treadmill through her home window. So he just saw her. She wasn't even out on the streets. She was in her, the privacy of her own fucking home. Wait, have you seen the movie? It's like Julia Roberts and Mel Gibson. They've been in a couple together. Is it? Um, it's the one where she's running on a treadmill in her home and he's watching her. <laughs> That's why I thought of it. Wait, what is it called? That movie? But it's not ransom. It's like secrets, or it's like um, conspiracy, or uh, conspiracy theory. Yes. Okay, I knew. It. I was like, it has the word conspiracy. Oh, is that like a thriller? Yeah, '90s thriller, baby. That was a time to wow. be alive. That was a time. Well, Julia Roberts sleeping with the enemy. She had a couple of those scary ones, and then she went. Then she was all rom-com. So he sees her on her fucking treadmill. The next day, she sends a text to a friend and that's the last anyone hears from her because what happened was the next day, he waited in her backyard for her to fall asleep. He breaks into her bedroom, bounds, like binds her, forces her to get into lingerie and then takes pictures of her and then sexually assaults her and he tapes the entire thing. Tapes the whole thing. Hours into the assault, he drives her to his home where she has a seizure and then she begs him to take her to the hospital. She says, if I die, will you make sure that my mom knows that I love her? And then he gives her some fruit and continues his attack on her. Then he dresses her and starts to walk her away from the house like he's going to let her go. And instead, he hits her on the head with a flashlight and strangles her to death. Like, <sighs> sick fucking fuck. So... He also confesses to another murder, which happened two or three months earlier in November. To uh, He murdered Corporal Marie France Camo, who was under his command at the CFB Trenton. So one victim he knew, another victim he just stalked and found. So this guy's MO was like all over the place. They had only met once and she had mentioned that she lived alone in that one conversation. 
So that November, he broke into her house, took photos of himself wearing her lingerie and underwear. Then a week later, she gets home and goes looking for her cat around the house and she finds Williams wearing a mask and hiding behind her furnace. He's got a bag full of plastic zip ties, a camera, duct tape, and a flashlight. Well, we just found zip ties. We were doing a photo shoot. I'm sure you've seen some of the pics already. But we wanted to like, oh, what could look like a crime? And then in the middle of this college campus, we find zip ties, rope, and tape. And then nearby on a tree, there was caution tape. (laughs) It was wild. Maybe it's one of those student films from SV or something. Yeah. (laughs) Rosemary's Bridesmaid or whatever. But I could not believe the pile of zip ties. Zip ties are, is there any good use for a zip tie? It seems always violent. No, no. a lot of times, like, zip ties are, like, holding planks of wood together when you, like, get furniture or whatever. Like, if you get furniture delivered, it's like, oh, cut the zip tie. Like, but yeah, like, I have a zip tie that holds my shelf to the wall so it doesn't fall on my children. But, like, yeah, in general, I think of them as just, like, horrific, basically plastic handcuffs. But he also had with him a flashlight, which, much like he does later with Jessica, he smacks her on the head with it. Then he drags her upstairs, assaults her for several hours. She pleads for her life. He records the whole thing on camera. Again, she says to him, you're going to kill me, aren't you? And then she says, have a heart, please. I want to live. Instead, he covers her mouth and nose with duct tape and she suffocates to death. Again, a different MO though than the strangling. And he also took more photos than after she was dead. Before he left her house, Marie France's house, he bleaches her sheets covered her with a duvet and then took several pieces of her underwear and lingerie and her boyfriend later found her body. So not only is he acu- has he been accused of these two murders that he has confessed to, he also confesses to breaking and entering, forcible confinement and sexual assault of two women in connection with two separate home invasions from the previous year. He had uh, just entered these women's houses, tied them up, had non-penetrative sexual assault on them is what they kept saying in all of these things because they were talking about how he escalates because he went from like penetrative to non-penetrative assault. But he took photos of them. One of the women had her baby in the house with her when the attack happened, which is like so horrific. But I mean, also just generally horrific. He also is accused of executing 82 fetish-related home invasions and attempted break-ins between September of 07 and November of 09 like right before the murder. So he just is like running into people's houses and like grabbing underwear, taking photos of himself in the underwear, blah, blah, blah. So I'll just say this. He's remanded on February 8th, the day after he confesses all this stuff. The police immediately start opening unsolved cases in places where he had been stationed to see if they can connect anything else. Inside his home, police found a ton of stolen lingerie and underwear, all neatly stored cataloged and hidden, but like it meticulously kept. Like he, like it was like a trophy box. So this guy is very unlike a lot of other serial killers that we've seen. He had a successful career, a long and what other people called apparently loving marriage. And his activities began with fetish home burglaries around 06, 07 when he was 44 years old. That's kind of late in the game to start being a criminal. But who knows? Maybe they just don't know the shit he used to do. Um, he might have been a flasher back like ended up when he was in his 20s. So according to a psychologist named Vernon Quincy, who spent 16 years researching criminals at a maximum security psychiat- psychiatric hospital in Canada, 
this, he said, quote, it's very unusual for a guy who's got his act together like that to all of a sudden start committing crimes at a late age. This guy's also a professor emeritus of psychology and biology and psychiatry at Queens University. He goes on to say, quote, the guys you typically see start earlier. Almost nobody starts a life of crime when they're in their 40s, which is interesting. This guy went on regular jogs through his neighborhood, which it turns out, we find out later, are just recon missions where he can find people. Quote, when sex predators go out for a jog, they're always on the hunt. They're looking for the opportunity. They spend a lot of time casing a place. And that's from Glenn Woods, the director, former director of RCMP's criminal profiling unit, which I I think RCMP is like a Canadian FBI or something. Quincy says that this guy might be egodystonic, which is someone who finds his own impulses distressing and unacceptable. So that's, and I had never read about that before. It's like the opposite of like a lot of these guys that are like, this is just my need. I need to do this. This is just my way I am or whatever. During one of his sexual assaults, he reportedly told the victim he was attacking her, quote, so I can move on with my life, end quote. The experts also posited that perhaps this was a guy who could mostly control his impulses, but then something would set him off. But what set him off, no one can say. This guy had such a normal life. Like the only trauma that they were like trying to grab at in his life is that his parents got divorced. And then his stepdad got divorced again in 2000. His, step, his mom and stepdad got divorced again in 2001, which strained his relationship with his mom, but like nothing out of the ordinary. And people's parents get divorced every day. Like, so it's hardly, he mostly went to like posh schools, had like a privileged upbringing. Um, in April 2010, he does try to take his own life by wedging a stuffed cardboard toilet paper roll down his throat in jail, which is That's a first. wild. I know. I'd never heard of that one. That's why I included it. October 18th, he pleads guilty to all charges. He, plead, he pleads guilty to like, I think almost 90 charges, like the break-ins and then the murders and then, then the, two, um, the two sexual assaults. So on the first day of his uh, trial and guilty plea, all these details emerged of other sexual assaults he had committed, including the one with the new mother that we that I talked about earlier when the baby was asleep in the house. It was also revealed that he had might have had pedophiliac tendencies because he stole underwear of girls as young as nine years old. Sky's all over the place. He had progressed. The interesting thing about him was that he had progressed from break-ins to sexual assaults with no penetration to finally rape and murder. And he had kept detailed track of police reports of the crimes he was committing, logged his crimes, kept photos and videos, and had even left notes and messages for his victims. Like after breaking into the bedroom of a 12-year-old girl, he left a message on her computer that said, merci, like thank you in French. So weird. He took thousands of pictures of his crimes, kept them all on his computer. So he wanted to get caught. It feels like it. Well, you mentioned like, why like he's you... so disgusted by his own shit, right? Like, did he just Yeah, want like maybe he wanted caught? to just get put away. Yeah, so that he could stop doing it. But um, the one of the attorneys for the prosecution presented a lot of photos of him dressed in the underwear and the bras that he stole. He frequently masturbated while lying in his victim's beds. Like, he was a mess. So he was sentenced by uh, Justice Robert F. Scott on October 22nd, 2010, to two concurrent life terms of prison with no consideration of parole for 25 years. I cannot imagine that in 25 years he's going to get any kind of thing. But he kind of, like, the 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 case, like, stayed in the news a little bit because in 2014, his wife, whose name was Mary Elizabeth Harriman, uh, one of the women named Lori Massacote, who had been one of the um, tie-up sexual assault victims who lived, she filed a lawsuit against the, the province, 
Russell Williams and his wife named Mary Elizabeth Harriman in 2011, okay? And then she, in 2014, petitioned the court to expand her claim. In her claim, she said that Harriman, the wife, was, quote-unquote, aware of her husband's, quote-unquote, illicit conduct, but did not report it. So she's trying to say that the wife is basically complicit in the crimes that she knew her husband did the shit and didn't do anything. I have not heard of this before of a wife, like even like Fritzel, who, you know, I'm obsessed with bringing up Fritzel. Like he was committing these crimes in their home, in the basement. And the wife just said she had no idea. I haven't heard of like wives being brought in as like you knew and didn't say anything before. I don't think. Like there's accessory, obviously people that are helping, but people that are just saying, oh, I knew what he was doing and I didn't say anything. So, cause like the Green River killer killed over a hundred women. He had a wife the whole time, I feel like, or no, he had a wife when he wasn't killing. So she won her, her petition to be able to add that in. And that was bad news for the wife. Cause she claims, I knew nothing about his crimes. I had no idea. The lawsuit, the $7 million lawsuit was finally settled in 2016, five years later. And it's for undisclosed. So I have no idea how much it was for. But um, Mary Elizabeth Harriman, the wife, had basically filed to have her assets separated from her husband's as soon as this all happened. And I feel like this woman was like, well, those are his assets too. And I'm like entitled to them as one of his victims. So she has never, the wife, spoken publicly about her husband or his crimes. And people wonder like, how could anybody have been so like oblivious to like, he literally, the shit that they found in the house, like they went into his house and they found a pillowcase in the garage that had, and multiple computer boxes in the basement, all had stolen women's clothing in it. Like a bag right next to their bed. What if he took the photos and videos and stole stuff for his wife? Like what if she liked watching it? Uh. God. Because our whole thing is like, maybe he wanted to get caught. Maybe he would watch it. Maybe he gets off on it. Why keep so much evidence? But it's like, what if his wife was making him do it? And maybe that's why he confessed so fast because she was putting him up to it. JK, I don't want to blame a woman, but I, you know, the mystery, this little chunk has brought a little mystery to us all. Yeah. I mean, the cops, when they went into the room, the cops found a a bag right beside their bed and in it was a black skull cap and like all this sketchy shit. And then at the cottage that they owned, they found a duffel bag filled with hundreds of pieces of lingerie. It's like, how is she not finding any of this stuff? He kept a lot. So, that's that. I'm not sure if like, Somebody linked this to the article because it's just about like a man in power, like who's a serial rapist, like, and because this guy was so decorated. Yeah. Did you say that the settlement amount? This it was a seven million dollar lawsuit that they settled, and I don't know how much it was for. It's undisclosed how much they settled for. But since so why I'm would they settle since, if she didn't do if she didn't know? Like I well the pro the province of Ontario was involved as well. Oh, yeah. So I think probably the majority of the money came from like the province and then like the wife probably threw in like what she had. I know they had a, I know that they had a $2.4 million house in Ottawa that she said that was hers. And they were trying to give like the less expensive house was like on his side and people were on her about her real estate holdings and shit. But I think she knew. Yeah. Just off the, just off right now in my gut. Like, I don't know. I find... 
It's like, if Jared has one new thing in the house, I'm like, where'd this come from? Like, I, like, I know where, like, you know what I mean? Like, you just kind of are like, what's in that duffel bag? Oh, women's lingerie. <laughs> like, it seems a little, but it's freaky. I don't know if I would go so far as to say she was like, go kill people because I'm turned on by it, but maybe he was bringing her lingerie. Because The only reason I'm jumping to this conclusion is because he confessed so quick. I mean, like he just was like, yeah, I did it. Whatever. Get me out of here. Like, I don't know. And in, with the stuff just being everywhere and so much of it, I don't know. Yeah. And they probably would have found out about the other victim because they were actually acquaintances with each other. So once he confessed to the Jessica Lloyd, which is essentially a stranger murder, I'm sure they would have been like, oh, this guy worked with a woman who died, you know, two months ago. So I guess that's why he confessed to that. But yeah, not even a not guilty by reason of mental disease. I don't know if they have that in Canada, but I'm sure they do. Like nothing, just a guilty, 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 never getting out of jail. In Canada, they have a whoopsie, a whoopsie <laughs> charge. Oopsie daisy. Um, so that's that on that. So horrific, but we have a great guest for today, guys. So don't don't move a little muscle. <laughs> Okay, guys, our guest today, you'll never believe how I booked her. Our kids were playing together at a playground and I recognized her from an SVU and was like, you got to come do my podcast. So she is an actress, both on the dramatic and comedic side. You know her as the star of Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. And she was the lead in the very disturbing film Compliance. But you know her today as Detective Reese Tamor. Please enjoy our convo with the delightful Dreama Walker. Dreama, so good to have you here. Famously, basically, I feel like my daughter Rosie got you booked on this podcast because your daughter came up to my daughter somewhere and they we start they started coloring together. And then I mean, I booked you for this really on the playground. It's our first playground booking. I mean, let's be honest. My daughter came up to your daughter at a bar. <laughs> It, Wait, was this barcade? What was no, it? No, no. It, you know it. It's the bar in our neighborhood that's like kids central after school, uh, you know, on uh, Friday yes, afternoons. Yes, yes, yes. And I, like, she just, I brought markers because otherwise they just try to like run out onto the street. And her little cutie just walked up and was like, can I draw with you guys? And I was like, of course you can. And then I kept seeing you at the playground and was like, you've been in an SVU. You have to do my podcast. And then the dream came true. Here we are. Here we are. It's all started with the bar, like all good things do. <laughs> and I guess we'll start with something else great. I mean, this show is known for a lot, but, you know, Marishka's hair, and you came in really rivaling. Your yeah. hair looked incredible this episode. God bless. God bless you. Yeah. God bless you. It was you. really popping. You were ready for Luminous. that cop. You were ready for that cop convention with a fresh blowout and you were oh. ready to do some networking. You know, it's so funny. Every time I've ever done any Law & Order SVU or otherwise, they're always just so excited to like do beauty makeup, you know? Because they're, you know, they're trained professionals for hair and makeup. They can do anything. They can do special effects, whatever. But they're always just like, oh, we just get to make you look nice. That's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> was um, working with Harry Hamlin exciting meeting him or did that not affect you at all? Uh, I guess this is the part where we realize <laughs> that I'm a 
I'm an uncultured person, but I was just like, oh, you're Lisa Rinna's husband. That's yeah, no, for us We're, too. That's for us. That is our <laughs> did he br- Did he make you pasta sauce? Did he make any pies? You know? I mean, I mean, I was just like, you're Lisa Rinna's husband. I don't know. I feel like when someone's playing your rapist, you don't like really like <laughs> get to know them too well. You know, you're not like, let's be friends. That is true. That's and a great point. So Law & Order original recipe... Is that like your first acting gig? According to IMDb, it's like your first television thing. IMDb was correct. Yeah, I, that was my very first gig. I remember I bought a dog with her, with, with the money. Um, I think it was like 600 bucks and it was like the most I'd ever made. And I was like, I can get a dog now. And I did. Yeah, so it was, it was my first job. What did you name your first dog? Maggie. Oh, Maggie. Yeah. And it's insane. You're not going to believe this. She's still alive. Yay. Yeah. She's going to be 17 in September. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Crazy. Oh my gosh. And well, so then you did criminal intent in 08. I don't know if you bought another dog with that money. And then you did SVU in 2014. So by the time they brought you in for this episode that we're talking about uh, today, forgiving Rollins, were you just like, did they, did you audition for it or did they know you by this point in the Law & Order, in the Dick Wolf verse? The SVU thing was an offer, which was so yes. generous. But at the time I was, you know, working pretty regularly and, um, you know, was at a point in my career where I was like, well, how much are they paying? And then <laughs> they pay really well. Wow. And I, and I know people like love the show. And so I was like, oh yeah, I'll happily do it. So yeah, I flew to New York to do it. And, um, and it's really funny, like, you know, not to, not that I'm like a, even a B-lister by a stretch of my imagination, but when people come up to me sometimes and they say SVU, I'm like, that's so interesting that in, you know, like 18 years of my body of work, like that's the thing that some people know me by and that's it. Um, but yeah, it was a cool, it's a cool feather in my cap for sure. Yeah, totally. I mean, also it plays constantly. So at any given moment, someone could see you on the street and have just seen your episode like the day before. True. So it's always refreshing <laughs> people's minds. So speaking of high drama, in the scene where you have to like disclose to Benson, that's it, like a really... I feel like you're real. It's you're great in that scene. Like it's really, really intense because at first you're like shrugging it off, like oh no, no, nothing. Like everything's fine, and then you're like finally getting into it. What was it like? Opposite Mariska, the number one, the doing like that kind of scene. Like, do you remember anything from? I told you on the playground that I have a good story for you, and yes. I have a good here story it is for you. <laughs> Okay. So I'm in New York doing this show. Obviously just grateful to have a job, grateful to have an opportunity like this. But if I can be honest with you at my core, I'm a comedic actress. I don't feel super comfortable doing crying scenes. I moved to New York when I was 18. I learned to suppress my emotions. It is how I have survived. And so when someone wants me to cry, it's really hard for me because I'm just like, I don't fucking cry. Um, Anyway, so we're doing this scene with Mariska and I had kind of made a character choice that like, my character was going to be in so much shock from everything that happened that she wasn't going to have an emotional breakdown. Which is, I mean, definitely does happen. Some people, like, I mean, honestly, I think if it were me, I would just be so in shock, I wouldn't cry. 
But so also, especially anything. because your character is a detective. So yeah, she's worked like, in this, like, with the victims and stuff. And Yeah, she's a badass with a blowout. She's not going to cry. Mm. So I'm doing this scene with Mariska, and we're on my coverage. And Mariska's not directing the episode, but, I mean, she's obviously, like, a force. And I can't remember what, if she, like, stopped in the middle of a take or what. But she was like, honey, she was like, you have such, um, what did she say? She's like, you have such a lightness about you. And she's like, it it was a compliment, but it didn't feel like one of the moments. She's like, uh, she's like, you're so pretty that you just telling this story without breaking down is not compelling enough. Wow. And I was like, okay. Um, I'm getting acting advice from this legend, from this like multi-generational legend. And also like, I can't tell her like, hi, I can't cry. (laughs) So I was like, uh, I, you know, it's not like you have like uh, someone with you that you can go talk to and like suss it out. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? So I was like, all right, I got to cry for Mariska. So I just thought of some really sad shit that had happened in my life. And I was able to summit the tears, thank God. But I was embarrassed. I mean, like she was doing me a favor and I totally get where she was coming from. And it was a place of like respect, but it also was like, and knowing what I know about myself and my capabilities, I was like, you have gotten my Achilles heel here. Like I am not... (laughs) You know, this is not my forte. <laughs> I love it though. We've heard other actors tell us about her like getting tears out of them before too. Really? Like I feel like she, but that's so funny that she's like, you're too pretty. Like if you were a little bit more haggard <laughs> and, um, you know, maybe had like a facial deformity, we would be fine, yeah, but yeah. you're just too beautiful. I mean, it was very nice and I'm not sure if she was just like serving me a shit sandwich. She was just like, <laughs> hey, listen, you little blonde bitch. Uh, you can't really act. <laughs> Like we need you to. So, um, can, can I just tell you you're pretty and you would like get your shit together? Thank you. I don't know. I'll never know. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it, it happened. It happened. So much pressure. Too. Wow. So, so much. much pr- and then it's like, she's waiting for it. Oh my God. I know. I know. And like I said, it's really difficult. Like for whatever reason, if we were to do like a theatrical production, I would be like, really, um, inspired by the audience. Like, I don't know. It's, it's just such a different thing on a set because you get to know everybody around you so well, everybody's there. Everybody just wants to go home, get the scene done. And for you to feel that pressure of like, cry, it's like, Oh my God, you know? And I just can't, I can't. And then I actually have another story for you. I mean, I haven't worked in a while. I've had like a lot of kids, but, um, only two, but you know what I mean? <laughs> but I, this is going to like be my nail in the coffin. So it was the shot in the winter. And as soon as I got to New York, I got really sick, like a really bad cold. And, uh, I felt like garbage. And of course, like, you know, I was going to bed early, taking care of myself, but when you're really sick, there's not much you can do. So the day, um, that we shot the courtroom scene, Um, I remember I like did everything I could and they did my coverage first. And after they did my coverage, they, um, I remember they were doing, um, coverage on the jury and I could not keep my eyes open. I was so 
tired. And like, you know, obviously I have lines that they're supposed to react to, but I was standing on the witness stand, just like snot falling out of my (sighs) nose, sore throat, like hyped up on cold medicine. And I remember nodding off and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get fired. I'm never going to work again. But I could, even that wasn't enough. I was like, but I have to go to sleep. And I remember like at one point the AD was just like, you know what, you can, you can just go take a break. We're going to have your, your stand in, like read your lines for the jury to react to, which is like totally normal. I mean, like if I were, you know, a really big star, that would be normal, but I just felt bad that I couldn't stay awake. Falling asleep on the stand is cool. That's yeah. pretty fun. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> I'm sure no one has ever been this chill in this position before, but here I was being like... <laughs> yeah, you, I really, you couldn't tell. You didn't sound stuffed up or anything like in the actual really? scene when you're in court because I remember being like, like really impressed with your testimony because... A lot of times, even when the person's like, really, like you're, you were just like the most prepped witness that the show has ever seen. Like always the Aww. witnesses are like a little bit um, shaky and you were just like, this is what happened. Well, yep, there was drinking and this is what happened. Like you were just really to the point. Um, how was that courtroom scene like face with like Barba with uh, Raul Esparza? Oh my gosh, it was awesome. Everyone was so nice. God, I'm telling you, those those shows, their hours are just insane, but they're just like a well-oiled machine. Everybody knows what they're doing. And I mean, no offense, but like New York actors are just like, they don't find, they show up, they know all their lines and everybody else's. They're like kind, they're, they're, they're amazing compared to LA actors, I feel like. Uh, but yeah, every, everybody's just so, their work ethic is always incredible and, you know, the crew is amazing. And I'm just like, you had to take like seven trains to get here and there's four feet of snow and you guys are going to be here for 18 hours and you're not going to complain. Like you guys are incredible. Yeah. You mentioned the hours. So I loved um, Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. Me uh, too. Me too. I, yeah. I was a watcher. It was so good. What were those hours? Is it like, is Law & Order even wilder? Because I feel like most shows are just such long hours, but something is different with SVU. Something's different with SVU. Uh, I mean, any drama, obviously, you have twice oh. the material. And then also, like, you have big scenes like courtrooms or dinner tables or, you know, that kind of stuff that just requires a lot of coverage. I used to make a joke. It's probably still not funny, but I'll make it anyway. It's <laughs> of like, like, I remember when I first got started, I'd like, oh, you want to see what their elbow looks like during this scene? Like, it's, sometimes it just seems like there's so many setups that you're just like, what in the, you can't, we have got this, you know, um, but I'm, but I'm lazy. And that's why I haven't made a movie, a movie, but um, yeah, no, John Trust the Bee was like, a dream job. It was like half days, you know, we'd be done by like three o'clock and yeah. I mean, I do think comedy like requires, as you guys know, like requires a lot of energy that is hard for anyone and everyone to give, but I'd much rather do that than cry all day. I'm not Elizabeth Moss. You know what I mean? <laughs> not going to happen for me. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, we're huge sex in the city people. It is on your IMDB, but it doesn't say what episode. It only says 2008. Because it's the movie, ho. Oh, my God. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? They usually have the information. Oh, my God. That's incredible. I I wear a bow tie. 
I am like a, a, a waitress. I have like two lines. It's, it was dumb, but obviously it was like huge when it happened. Michael Patrick King, which every time I say that name, I think I'm making it up, but I'm not. Um, Michael Patrick King had all of us, everyone who had like a bit part in that, like had a, a very like lengthy extended audition, like where we had to do like improv and like, like, I feel like there was even like movement stuff in it. And it was really fun. Cause it was like me and like a bunch of my friends that were all actors or whatever. But I feel like he wanted to see like who, you know, kind of like who was like serious about it or who was, I don't know. And it was an honor at the time, but now I'm just like, oh, I'm wearing a bow tie looking confused. Um, <laughs> but now that I see the year, it all makes sense. And I feel like a fool, but. Yeah, that's so funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause like Sex in the City, the show was like when I was pr- probably in high school or something. So that would have been really crazy if it's like, oh, this, we're going to have this girl from Florida be in Sex in the City. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, that would have been weird. Where in Florida? I'm from Tampa. Woo. And usually the conversation is over after no, that. No, we one. had a fun show in Tampa. We did we a show in Tampa. Where? Um, the, the Tampa Improv. improv. Oh, that's Comedy awesome. That's yeah. really good to know. Well, I mean, obviously I like it because I'm from there. Um, but yeah, it's like, a, it's a super cute place, but people love to make fun of it. No. Especially <laughs> Tina Fey. <laughs> um, and then... I actually grew up with Brittany Snow. Um, we performed together in a performing group. And she, oh, this is where it gets even crazier. So like my older brother and sister, they did commercials and stuff when they were younger. Um, they were like super cute, like worked all the time. I didn't. I'd like to think that it was because of my personality, but um, I think it may have been because of my looks too. I don't know. Anyway, along comes adorable Brittany Snow and her mom is like, I'd like to get Brittany into that stuff. And my mom was the first person to get Brittany Snow, her agent. Oh my God. You're the queen of Tampa. I mean, God love you for saying that. Um, No, I'm not tan enough or, you know, you have a uh, lower back know. tattoo? I don't. I'm okay. sorry to disappoint yeah. you. Oh. I know. I know. This is the uniform um, of Tampa. Both all of these things, you're not. I mean, <laughs> I know. I'm just letting you guys down. But yeah, so my mom was the first one to get Brittany Snow, her like Orlando agent. And yeah, you know, I mean, like Brittany's so beautiful and was always like so cute and charismatic. And then before we knew it, she had like ascended to like having a TV show in high school. And I I, I would say she's winning. She's also in an amazing SVU episode as well. Oh, I'm sure she is. It's based sure on the, it's based on the, uh, it's like the Tom Cruise uh, thing or something, right? Oh. Like it's yes. like a celebrity being against, like against psychotropic, like against psychotropic medication. And so she stops taking her medication and she does all this crazy stuff because she needs to be on medication. Snap. Yeah. Wow. But it's with stuff. Norman Reedus. It's a star-studded one. Now, your IMDb, which lies all the time, did say that you were in a teen pop band called Schoolgirls, where there's a apostrophe or an asterisk. It's like stylized as like school girls. Like what? Tell us the truth. I can tell by the look on your face that it's true. No, you don't know anything. You're a very intuitive person. Um, no, you know, I really thought that I'd escaped the wrath of that coming back to life because 
I thought that that was kind of like pre-internet, but I guess nothing's pre-internet anymore now that there's the internet. Um, Yeah. So I was in a pop group. That was the thing that you did, you know, when you were like trying not to get pregnant um, in Tampa. (laughs) So yeah, I, um, I was in a pop group and to be honest, it's actually how I got where I got today. I ended up getting representation through that said pop group. Yeah. It's crazy. So, okay, how was working with Kelly Giddish? We've had her on our podcast. She's lovely. Oh, she was so cool. You guys were had she like big so sister, cool. little sister energy in that show too. In that yeah, episode. she was so cool. I remember she had like a, this was kind of like her first, wasn't it? It was like her first really big thing. It was a big episode for her because it was like really focused on her. It might've oh, been like- no, f- no, I'm sorry. I'm not talking about my episode. I'm, th- I'm talking about like her getting oh, SVU. Oh yes, I'm mean, getting like, SVU. Yeah, that's sorry. like a huge, amazing job. Yeah. But I felt like she just kind of had like the discipline and like all the like stuff that you needed to succeed. Remember she had a giant treadmill in her dressing room at Chelsea Pierre's. And I was just like, dang girl, like for you to wake up at five in the morning and like say all your stuff sad, crazy lines all day and then go run on a tread. Like, good for you. Yeah. I'm just going to go eat a donut. I'll be at a but bar yeah. with my toddler. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's how I'm parenting. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, I, I thought she was awesome. And I also feel like I've heard from other people that she's she's a good person and she's a great actress. So, yeah. Yeah, she was cool when we talked to her. Did we you meet her, her dog? She, she's known to bring her dog t- to set. Probably. I'm wondering if I brought my dogs that trip. I think I brought my dogs that trip too. But yeah, I feel like I feel like she did have. I feel like she has a bigger dog. She has yeah, a bigger dog? Fran, her dog's name is Franny. Yeah. You guys are so cute for knowing that. That's adorable. <laughs> well, the dog That's is adorable. on the show as her dog too. So she'll oh, be, okay. she walks her own dog on the show sometimes when she's like doing a sting and pretending to just walk a dog so that someone will attack her or whatever. <laughs> um, God, <laughs> you know. Just a day in the life of Amanda Rollins. Um, oh, man. Do you have any other, like, you gave us so much, but so any much. other little, like, memories from the set that you want to throw in there? Like, or anything upcoming that you're excited about to tell the <laughs> listeners? <laughs> Fuck all. Um, no, uh, like I said, I had a bunch of kids. Um, I pee when I sneeze now. Um, <laughs> You know, yeah, between like the pandemic and becoming a mom, my career's just kind of slowed. Uh, my agent says it'll get better. We'll see. I don't know. Um, to be honest, like I said, I, I really, I, I just like making people laugh. I want to write. I want to, um, I want to do comedy. That's kind of where my, where my heart is at. So hopefully, you know, I can make that happen one day. But hopefully I'm the sure. strike figures itself out. Yeah. And we can. It's so crazy do cool, fun things. I know. I know. It's so bananas, but then the actors are going to go on strike too. Yeah. Wait, I just voted. Good. Good. That's rad. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Love all the dirt. You guys are so sweet. She was lovely to talk to. Love her. See, still see her all the time around town. That's so second, wild. Love living in Hollywood. Second person I worked on the podcast through my children. The first was Virginia, but this is the second one. But she's great. And it sounds like she had a blast on the set. I mean, this episode was a toughie. I mean, we got a lot of Rollins emotion. A lot of emotional Rollins. Absolutely. I think this episode does a great job of showing um, like all the reasons why 
people don't come forward and how it causes yeah. more problems instead of less. And hopefully one day people will understand that to be like, well, why didn't you ask? Why didn't you say anything? You know, there's yeah. so many reasons. And it's like professional, like, I mean, Rollins ran away, went all the way to New York and still they won't leave her ass alone. You know, like it's disgusting. And we learned that wives will just st- like believe their weird Harry Hamlin husbands. I don't know. Yeah. But also that like, I thought it was like, freaky. Also, like, her boss is taking advantage and being a, like, criminal advantage. But then her coworker, like, that guy was like, you never had any time for me. It's like, he's just, like, he can't even, like, these guys are all, like, loyal to each other and are just like, oh, wow, you're giving it to the boss, but not to me. Like, the guy that, like, tried to, she had to kick him in the balls with Franny. Yeah. He grossed me out. He's in a couple of other episodes, too, as that character where you could tell he's just, like, leering like he wants Amanda but like she'll never but they all get married it's just like you can all be sluts I just don't get why you have to be married to someone while also trying to like sexually harass your coworkers. (laughs) honestly as much as we talked about how dudes are like have kids and get married we should start an anti-campaign being like leave us alone yeah men (laughs) don't get married if you don't want to be with your wife like, yeah. No one is forcing marriage upon you. Like, I I don't understand it. Like, I Or, I don't like, I understand it. if you were, you did want to be with your wife, you've fallen out of love, just get, like, get divorced. What's going on? No, honestly, while, while I was yelling, why are you doing this? I realized who else is going to do the laundry? So. <laughs> exactly. Who's going to do your laundry? Who's going to cook and clean for you? Raise your children? Blah, blah, blah. I think we could keep this little postmortem quick since we talked for 45 minutes about every sea crime that I've ever read about this week. Agree. (laughs) Let's move on. Uh, Let's move on to what would Sister Peg do? You guys know this. It's our weekly segment, our WWSPD, uh, where we direct you to a blog, a podcast episode, a podcast episode, a uh, documentary, something to help you learn a little bit more about what we talked about in today's episode. And this week, I wanted to direct you guys to the National Women's Law Center for Legal Help for Sex Discrimination and Harassment. You can find legal help if you're experiencing sex discrimination or harassment at work. If you're a student and if you're a patient and the discrimination is related to healthcare, no one should be no one should be grinning and bearing it at work and being like, well, as soon as I get this promotion, it's going to be good. Like, you know, you got to, th- this There's this place has resources and ways to help. So they have several other resources if the harassment took place outside of any of the previously mentioned circumstances, such as a cop convention in New York City. Um, for more information, go to nwlc.org. And the link will also, as always, be in our show notes and on our in an Instagram story day of the release and in the WWSPD2 story highlight forever. Thank you so much for that. And drum roll, please. Next week, we will be doing Ballerina Season 10, Episode 16. A top 10 since the beginning. Like, we've been wanting to do this one. Yeah. So, um, have so much fun watching it. And then I'm sure you'll watch the next uh, five after that. And we will see you next week. We're obsessed with all of you. Come see us live. Give us a little rate review and live your dreams. Bye, guys. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. 
If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.